0: Different version. The Sunday Mystery Movie theme song. This Henry Mancini. Jack Klugman as Quincy. Dennis Weaver as the cloud. There's a reason I'm going over this here, playing this to start this podcast. Check My Brain podcast, Tony Maser, Rock Hudson as McMillan. And wife and wife left. No Susan St. James. Tonight starring Peter Falk as Columbo. Yes, indeed. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Thank you for checking this out, the podcast. Uh... You know, during the pandemic and the lockdowns and quarantines and all that, I was looking for different things to watch. And I've kind of always been the guy who goes back in time, who looks back and rereads and rewatches things as opposed to discovering new things. Like, I like discovering new music, but you always fall back to the favorites and what's most comfortable. I think a lot of people do that. And one of them was going back in time and watching old Columbo episodes. So when things really – well, it's actually before the pandemic because last year for, in, uh, for Halloween, I actually dressed up as Columbo. I grew my hair out to – had a. it wasn't – actually, I think Columbo's suit was worse than mine was. But um, I kind of uh, had a raincoat and I smoked a cigar in the backyard at a Halloween party and uh, went as Columbo. Now, nobody knew who I was because nobody who's in their 60s or 70s. Everyone's in their 30s, and they don't know who the hell Columbo is. They should, and I don't know why they don't, and that's what's sad about it. So I've kind of gone back in time, and I've really enjoyed history uh, and some of these great TV shows. And it, the re- That's kind of the reason I wanted to talk to Mark DeWidziak here. Now, Mark DeWidziak for a long time was a plain dealer, pop culture writer, He's with the Akron Beacon Journal as well. And he wrote pop culture, but he's like the foremost guy that if you want to talk to him about anything related to the Twilight Zone, if you want to talk to him about Mark Twain, anything like that. But he's also the author of The Columbo File. The Columbo File was published in 1989, and this actually came out before the quote-unquote new Columbo episodes had come out. So the new Columbo, so you had the old ones, which was from the mystery movie theme that I had played earlier, but then the new ones were the ones on ABC that were just a little different. We get into that in the conversation as well, but uh, he he was the foremost expert on the old Columbo episodes to the point where he actually had a nice rapport and a friendship, a professional and personal friendship with Peter Falk all the way up until he died back in 2011. So... This is a really interesting interview with Mark DeWidziak. He knows everything there is to know about Columbo. We get into talking about old Columbo, new Columbo, Peter Falk, a little bit of his upbringing, and just kind of who he was as a guy and what went into the background uh, that you might not know about what happened into why Columbo became what he was and why people were really interested in. So here's my conversation with Mark DeWitziak. And I learned that killing a nerd is not as fun as it sounds. There is just one more thing. You folks have a good night now. Well, first of all, Mark, before we get into, you know, the, kind of the meat and potatoes, what we all want to talk about, uh, what have you been up to lately? Well, how's everything uh How's everything been? I know the uh, unceremonious exit from the plane dealer happened a few months ago, but uh, I've been keeping busy during the pandemic.
1: You know, I've said this uh, a couple times, and it's true. I I feel almost guilty about how little disruption there has been to my life, uh, either because of uh, my departure from the the newspaper business or the the quarantine. Um, I've worked from home since the 90s. You know, this is my home office, which you see the what we affectionately call around here the bell tower. Um, it, it's a labyrinthian office. And uh, this is where I've worked since the mid-90s. And uh, uh, I, I, I had made a, a, a commitment to the next book uh, just a couple days before uh, I was let go at the, the plane dealer in April. So I moved right from, from uh, that to doing a big project. So I've been keeping very busy um and it just uh it's just gone very seamlessly into the into the next thing so thank you for asking but i'm actually doing you know i'm I'm not just putting on a good face about this you know it's actually been uh i got a 43 year run out of journalism
0: well other than wearing a mask i'm sure your life pretty much hasn't changed that much
1: (laughs) right right and um you know the only thing that i that i miss uh what i do miss is um i miss the performing i miss uh going out and uh uh doing our shows uh with the largely literary theater company i miss teaching uh the the uh, one-on-one contact with the students and i miss um doing book signings and things like that that i do miss you know is uh, I'm, i'm looking forward to the day when i can go back and you know have that contact with people but otherwise, everything's been, you know, very good and, and 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 staying busy has not been a problem. I'll put it that way.
0: And really, I've kind of kept myself busy that when I, I've been here at the radio station and I've kind of kept busy going back home and I'm not Netflix guy, I'm not Hulu guy, I'm not any of that. So what I decided to do and the reason I wanted to get you uh, to do this podcast with me is I've been going back and watching the classics and I, I'd stop over my parents and we'd watch me TV, and... Uh, seven o'clock is like the Flintstones or the Honeymooners or something. And I just start going way back in time. And then when I have Insomnia, I'm watching like, I think like in the middle of the night, like from two to three is Mannix, from three to four is is Cannon with William Conrad. And then I think Barnaby Jones is on after that. And I, I just start watching these and I love the guest stars. I love that era of Hollywood, too, especially with television. And of course, that brings me to Columbo. A, I mean, really, I've been watching Columbo, I'd say for much of my life, but didn't really get into it as much up until the last probably five years, because I, I'm really one of these guys that I hate a lot of today's Hollywood. I think it's a lot of it's contrived, it's homogenized. It's not the Hollywood of back in the day where you would see some of those guest stars and you would see um, just the stars of the day and they would be on the the, the NBC uh, mystery movie wheel and everything. And Columbo was one of those that is just kind of stuck around for so many years. And you are the author of The Columbo File. And uh, it's been now just over 30 years since that came out. And uh, I, I'm sure it's still available. You could probably find it on eBay or Amazon or something. But what led you into going to, into that? Was it just the love of the show? Was it... Uh, uh, getting an opportunity to meet some of the the characters and some of the writers and the producers behind it. What got you into doing the Columbo file?
1: Well, I have to be honest about this. Um, yes, my love of the show certainly did uh, get push me towards that book. But the the honest answer is, um, and 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 in order to answer that that, that correctly, I have to tell you. Um, You know, uh, we all like to think we're in charge of our lives. We all like to think um, we're we're the masters of our own fate. We are the captain of our ship, all of this. But when you get to a certain point in your life, you sort of look back and you realize, uh, you know, fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it, puts you in certain directions and puts you in places where you were supposed to be at that time. And uh, when I was writing my first book, uh, which was a slice of theater history, and I was living in um, uh, Upper East Tennessee, uh, Southwest Virginia area, what's called the Tri Cities area, and I was working at a 50,000 circulation newspaper. And I had just finished that book. And if you had asked me at that point, that's around 1982, and you had said, oh, "Well, Mark, what's your next book going to be?" I would have told you exactly what my next book was going to be. It was going to be a history of a famous TV show, one of my one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and I was going to do it. I was going to write the history of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. That was my going to be my next book. And I would that's what I was working towards. Never even stopping to think or consider, maybe, maybe Upper East Tennessee is not the best place to be researching a book on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, but I did a few interviews. I was fooling myself. But then in 1982, I walked into a bookstore. And I had that experience a lot of writers have of seeing the book that you want to write. And there it was, Mark Scott's Decree's The Twilight Zone Companion. And, Tony, it was a great book. Mark did a fantastic – much better than I would have ever done with it. So basically –
0: so what ended up happening was that he wrote the book you wanted to, and so you had to kind of change course, right?
1: Well, I mean, it was was one of those where I looked at it and went, wow, this is it. This is it. So I immediately shifted my focus to – another favorite TV show, which was Columbo. And my goal in doing that was to write as good a book on Columbo as Mark had done on The Twilight Zone. Yeah. So I set out, and it was right at that point that the Akron Beacon Journal called me and asked me about becoming their TV critic. And uh, so in 1983, I moved from East Tennessee to Akron, and I now had the ideal job for uh, researching a book on a TV show. I was a TV critic at, the, at a, a, a respected newspaper. I had the perfect forum, and I started to... And then within a year, I had interviewed Richard Levinson, the co-creator of the Columbo character. And I, I sneakily asked for him when he was doing an HBO sh- movie. And uh, at the end of the discussion, I said, what would you think about uh, a history of the Colombo character? And uh, Richard said, "Um, I'd love it. I'd I'd love to have a book like that to show my grandchildren what I did. And uh, so I set out at that moment to seriously. And then uh, within a a couple of weeks, I did my first uh, other uh, actor interview uh, in New York, which was Leonard Nimoy who had played a a murderer in the second season. And I was off to the races at that point. And uh, I spent the next uh, five, six years researching, interviewing. And that book was published in 1989 by the Mysterious Press as the Columbo File. Now, um, as you probably know, that, that book was a steady seller for about 10 years. It was published in 89. It went out of print in 99. And ever since then, it has become a very expensive book, and a very hard book to find.
0: And you get no but, royalties.
1: Uh, <laughs> Not all that original. They, 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 I mean, I, I, as long as it was in print, I you know, I certainly. But but the prices have have risen to a, a ridiculous uh, level of like you know three four hundred dollars for a copy of the book. Um, so, last year, you know, and, and I, you had mentioned this. So this is news. Last year a small publisher in Commonwealth Books in Southern Ohio approached me about reprinting the book having the book do it reprinted as a facsimile reprint. Uh, and at, at the time I thought now, who's go, who's going to be interested in a series, you know, how many sales is there? You know what I but I basically said if you want to do it go ahead. You know, I, I just I just wanted to let you know one thing. I'm not going to lift a finger to help you. You know, if you want to do it, you have my permission. Yeah. And then I called him back and said, Yeah, you know, the book needs a new preface. If you're going to read, if you're really going to do this, it needs a new a, a new thing because there were new Columbos since then. So I wrote him a new preface and then I called him back a little while later and said, yeah, it needs an appendix. It needs a, 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 something that updates what happened as, since the book was published in 89. And then I called them back and said, you know, it needs kind of a remembrance of Peter. I, you know, I, I can write just I ended up writing 10,000 new words.
0: for
1: this, <laughs> uh, before it was... And then they, they, they basically called me and said, you have to stop. You have to you have to stop sending us stuff because um, the, the you're going to go past the page count and you're going to drive the price of the book up. And we want to keep it at a reasonable price. Anyway, short story. The book was reprinted uh, in uh, November. Late November of last year, 30th anniversary edition of The Colombo File, uh, readily available at at Amazon. There it is. And the amazing thing, Tony, is, and this is why I bring this up, not only because people might want to know you can get this book now uh, at at a reasonable price. I was stunned. I once again was wrong. And I've always been wrong about every prediction when it comes to my career. This book the next day after it was published went to number one on amazon for books about television really and has outdone all sales projections i i have been i'm utterly stunned uh at how incredibly well this reprint that i had to be talked into doing which i said you know well if you want to and they did such a great job with it um but it is just, I'm just amazed at how many Colombo fans are still out there.
0: Yeah, and especially me, I'm 32, and I've gotten a lot more people into it and realizing that there was good television back then. And there's more than just what's on Netflix right now. And uh, Colombo, I want to get into kind of the the history of it because you were talking about William Link and Richard Levinson. Le- Richard, we lost him uh, back in the late 80s. Um, but kind of getting in into the background, and I, I think it's now common knowledge for a lot of people, or for some people, but Bing Crosby was the—what they were looking at as the background of the, who they wanted as a Columbo character. And when you, you think about it, you go, well, like, from what Peter Falk did as Columbo, and you go, Bing Crosby, then you realize— you know, smoking, whether it's a pipe or a cigar or something, and you go, it's not that far-fetched. And then the Columbo character predated the uh, what Peter Falk did by, what, at least a decade, right? Not a decade.
1: Actually, it was all pretty condensed. Uh, the first appearance by uh, the prototype character of the Columbo was in a short story, uh, which Levinson and, and Link wrote called May I Come In. Uh, the character actually does not... Appear in the short story. There's a knock at the door at the end of the story. It is the detective. If the detective had come in, as as the title says, it would have been Columbo. They took that short story, and they turned it into a episode of a summer series, the Chevy Mystery uh, the Theater, and they called it Enough Rope at that point. And they hired a character actor named Bert Freed to play Columbo. Uh, Bert Freed. Burly guy, big, uh, very stocky, burly guy. And you'd know him if you saw him. If you if, you, if I showed you a picture of Burt you'd go, oh, I know that guy. He's been in a thousand things. Was he was one of those
0: him. character actors yeah. of the 60s and then in the 70s That's where right. you're like, oh, it's that guy.
1: Yeah, exactly. And As a matter of fact, he did so much that years later he didn't remember being the first actor who played Columbo. Uh, Bill Link ran into him. Uh, at a party in Hollywood and said, you were the first guy who played Columbo. He said, I was, you know, he had no memory <laughs> of it. Um, but then they took that, uh, that, 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 that episode of the Chevy Mystery Theater, and they turned it into a play. Uh, now, this was about 1962, we're talking. And the play was called Prescription Murder. And they, they, they really did this up to a fairly well. They, they really put a great effort into this. And they thought they had a really good uh, mystery. And uh, they had Joseph Cotton, the Hollywood uh, icon who was in Citizen Kane and and such things. They had him playing the murderer, the the psychiatrist who kills his wife. And Agnes Moorhead, uh, from Bewitched fame, played the wife. And then Thomas Mitchell played Columbo. Uh, Now, Thomas Mitchell is best known as Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life. In 1939, he probably had the best year that any character actor has ever had in the history of movies. If 1939 was Hollywood's greatest year, he's in five movies from that year, including Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's amazing. Um, He's also in uh, Only Angels Have Wings and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So he's in five of the best movies of 1939, and he won the Oscar that year for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, The trivia question is, for what film did he win? Because it wasn't Gone with the Wind, which everybody assumes he must have won for. He won it for Stagecoach. He Mm -hmm. won it for playing the drunken doctor. So Billy Mitchell was an older, stocky, Irish-faced actor. And he was very successful as Columbo. When Levinson and Link wrote Prescription Murder, they assumed the murderer, the psychiatrist was the lead character. That's how they wrote the play. And they toured the play and the idea was to bring it to Broadway eventually. So they played it in San Francisco, they played it in Detroit, they they did a national tour, it was very successful. But every time they, they would take the bows, you know, Thomas Mitchell would get the biggest applause. Every time they would, the, the cast would come out, when Joseph Cotton came out, the applause was good. When Thomas Mitchell came out, it went way up. The audience loved the cop right from the start. And Levinson and Link finally realized the cop is the lead character. It's not the psychiatrist at all. So um, Thomas Mitchell was very sick at the end of the run. It did not make it to Broadway. They also had some third act problems they couldn't quite lick. And um, they, they couldn't take it to Broadway. Thomas Mitchell died very shortly after that. So now we're, it's 1967, and they are writer-producers at Universal, Levinson and Link. And Universal says, boys, what do you have? And they say, well, we've got this dandy mystery we did as a play called Prescription Murder." Why don't we do it as a TV movie? And uh, it sounds like a good idea. Who do we get to play the cop? Who do we get to play Columbo? Now it doesn't seem so odd that Bing Crosby might be one of the people they would have been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Because he's an Irish face, older actor. Uh, And, you know, if you think that Thomas Mitchell was what they were thinking at that point, it makes a lot of sense. He wasn't the only actor. Hollywood legend has sort of made it, oh, it was going to be Bing Crosby. Crosby you know they did talk to him about it and he did say basically no thanks uh they also talked to Lee J Cobb again thinking about more of a stocky you know more of a Burt Fried type um so they had thought about both being Crosby and Lee J Cobb the irony there is that Lee J Cobb later plays a very similar role in the exorcist with Lieutenant Kinderman, Lieutenant Kinderman is always going, you know, pardon me, I don't mean to interrupt here. I'm just, you know, he was, he had that same kind of Columbo demeanor, uh, but somebody had slipped Peter Falk a copy of the of the script. He read Prescription Murder, and he immediately realized how good the cop role was, so he basically got in touch with uh, Levinson and Link and Universal and said, mm-hmm. I'll, I'd kill to play that cop. And at first they thought, well, it's younger. You know, it's not exactly what we're thinking about. But Peter's passion and enthusiasm for it really carried the day. And uh, so they said, why not? Let's, it, it, let's reward that enthusiasm. Let's reward that. He's probably going to come up with something pretty special. And he did. And so we get the first TV movie airs in 1968, Prescription Murder. It's a one shot. Never thought that the character would ever come back. Until, you know, we get into then three years later, uh, NBC is thinking about this whole idea of this mystery wheel, this mystery movie wheel on Sunday nights. And uh, they want want Columbo to be part of it. They remember, oh, this movie was great and Peter Falk was great. But Peter Falk had a pretty good uh, film career going at this point and a Broadway career as well. So, you know, Peter basically said, I'm not doing a series, um, which means every week. What Peter thought was the series was every week. The only way Columbo worked with Peter Falk was that they did six or seven mysteries a year. They did. He agreed to do that. That would give him time to go do movies and go do Broadway. In fact, the entire first season mystery movie season of NBC, the NBC mystery movie wheel was done under a tremendous gun because they had a deadline. Because Peter was leaving to go star in Neil Simon's The Prisoner of Second Avenue on Broadway. <laughs> Um, but NBC asked for a second pilot film at, at that point. Um, and they kind of said, Well, you need a pilot film. You've got prescription murder. And the reason was Columbo was so different than anything else. They wanted to make sure that prescription murder wasn't a fluke. Um, Columbo has no violence, no blood. Uh, the leading man is not your classic, uh, you know, six foot. Granite jawed, uh, two fisted detective. The detective doesn't even show up for the first half hour uh, of it. You know, you see the murder plotted, and it's an what's oh, called an open mystery where you see the murder. Uh, yeah, it's not a who it. You know the murder. Yes, it's not a who done it. It's it's a how's he going to catch him. You know, is, 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 is basically, you know, it's not a we know who done it right from the start. And those are very tough to write, by the way. Those are incredibly tough because the murder is committed in full view of everybody. And then the clues that are going to catch him are seen and they have to be surprises later on. So you see it. You see what's going to undo the murderer. Uh, and that is tough. That is a tough form to write. So NBC wanted to make sure. So they did a second pilot called Ransom for a Dead Man with Lee Grant as the murderer. And then they that was very successful. Who was so famously that followed,
0: blacklisted, by the way. That's right.
1: That's right. And had worked with Peter before, had yep. worked three times with Peter before uh, that. And then was his leading lady in Prisoner Second Avenue when he leaves. So he and Lee Grant have a long history together. Uh, so 1971, they move into the mystery movie wheel with Columbo alternating with every every fourth week. It was it was Columbo, McLeod, McMillan and wife, and then the fourth spot they could never fill. Heck, Heck Ramsey
0: was the first one, right?
1: It was, Heck, it was there was Heck Ramsey, there was Amy Prentice, uh Tenafly <laughs> No, Tenafly was on the Wednesday mystery. Oh, movie.
0: that was the Well, oh, okay.
1: That was the one with the Snoop <laughs> Sisters and uh, and check. yeah, there was a there was a they, they tried to that was so successful. They tried another mystery wheel.
0: And wasn't there another um, one that had Art Carney? It was like called like Lanigan's Rabbi, Lanigan's
1: Rabbi. yes, <laughs> yes. And, and 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 ironically, they finally found the fourth spoke to the wheel as the mystery movie was dying when they found Quincy. And uh, Quincy comes in in the last season of the mystery movie and it's successful. And then they used Quincy as a as a weekly series because it was so successful. Yeah, it just stood alone. Yeah. Yeah. But but it it could have been all along if they had found it earlier. It could have been the uh, of course, you know, Klugman was doing Odd Couple when uh, when Columbo started. But they they started with uh, the first mystery movie uh, episode to air was Murder by the Book,
0: which was uh, Steven Spielberg. Was directed and by and
1: Steven Bochco, both Stevens. Uh, Steven Bochco, who would go on to create Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue, uh, was the the writer, and Steven Spielberg was the director. So two kids named Steven uh, were responsible for that.
0: And, and that leads me to some of the great guest stars that were on there. And I think if you talk to any Columbo I, I, purist with this, yeah, I think many would probably say Jack Cassidy was probably the best, right? Well, well,
1: Levinson and Link certainly thought so. I mean, you know, they always thought that, that Jack Cassidy, what they called Jack Cassidy's preening arrogance, was just perfect. It was. For the Columbo killer. And it was. He, he played it Columbo killers three times. And they're all good. They're all they're all three uh, outings are, are wonderful. Um, you know, you can't have Jack Cassidy every week. So they they, <laughs> they pursued a lot. of Robert Colt played a Columbo murderer three times in the original 45 uh, uh, mysteries. But, you know, it wasn't just the murderer. You know, obviously, the the Columbo file was published in 1989, and that year was the year that ABC brought Columbo back, and they did 24 new mysteries from 1989 into the early 2000s -hmm. with Peter reviving the character. And, you know, the, 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 the general consensus is that those mysteries are not as good as the original 45 the classic 45 nbc mysteries and they aren't it's not to say there are not good abc mysteries there are some which could stand shoulder to shoulder with the originals but most of them uh are lacking and one of the things reasons they're lacking is you don't have the level of guest stars you don't have the, the that great richness of cast that you have in the 70s episodes and it wasn't just the murderer. You look at a episode like, uh, let's say, Short Fuse. Okay. It's a first season episode with Roddy McDowell as the murderer. Behind Roddy McDowell is James Gregory, and Francis, Ida Lapino. <laughs> it oh, every time you turn around in that episode, you're turning around at these wonderful actors. William Wyndham is in that episode. Uh, so those episodes had this kind of richness. Of, of of casting that the later Columbos didn't quite have. Maybe they'd have a great guest murderer, but then the cast after that weren't that weren't great. And one of the reasons is production costs had risen so high in the nineties. By then, yeah, I noticed so, that
0: there was uh, like I was watching one uh, a few weeks ago with George Wendt, and I'm just like, oh, okay. it, it kind of seemed to me by the nineties by those, and we'll and I want to get to the later Columbo episodes a little bit, but when you looked at the early ones, that I think it almost seemed to me that there was a, you had to tread a line because obviously I think a lot of Hollywood actors wanted to be on a Columbo. They wanted to be a guest killer. And you had a lot of great ones we mentioned, uh, like Dick Van Dyke, which was hilarious because Dick Van Dyke was doing commercials for Kodak at the time, and now he's the he's the killer who's, who's the photographer. Uh, nice. But you had uh, his friend uh, John Cassavetes, uh, William Shatner was a part of it, and I think there had to have been some kind of balance with the Columbo guest star where it's not going to be, hey, we're doing this because it's a huge star. Is it somebody who is a star but also can – help help along and be really good with it because i i watched the johnny cash episode and i thought his acting was i I could act better than johnny cash i thought it was such wooden i loved the episode but i thought his acting was just so wooden and just so just one-dimensional and it it seemed to me it was like well hey he's a big star you gotta get johnny cash on for a guest star shouldn't you
1: I, i you know um I, 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 I'll I disagree with you on that in the sense that I I think Johnny Cash is totally believable as a country star who dresses in black, you know, True. Uh, <laughs> I have no problem <laughs> with, it, with it, playing, you know, he obviously was not playing that far off, uh, to his character. And I think that he and Peter have some very nice moments, uh, in, in that, in that episode. Uh, I think they have some nice bonding moments that, you know, where Johnny Cash calls him little buddy and, uh, yeah, it's a different kind of dynamic because usually, you know, one of the things that's really wrong with the George Wendt episode later on is the fact that George Went's the type of actor who they decreed should never be a Columbo murderer, sort of the everyday blue collar slob type, you know, that's Peter. You know, you don't play that against itself. You, you get Jack Cassidy, you get somebody who is... Uh, is very, is full of hubris and full of, uh, is, is sure that this, this, this cop is never going to catch him. And, you know, with, with the Johnny Cash character, the Tommy Brown character, they had to come up with a slightly different dynamic because he obviously is not, you know, some Oxford professor, uh, you know, a psychiatrist or, or, or a best selling author or something like that. So they came up with a, you know, it's it, it's definitely uh, an experimental episode because the, the whole feel of it's a little different. Yeah. Um, and well, once again, it's you know, great guest cast in that John Daner, who is one of the great great guest stars on television in those times, and he's in he's in two of the original. He plays a murder because he's the, the the murder victim in Last Salute to the Commodore. Um, he's the Commodore. And, uh, he, you know, and he plays the, the uh, uh, air in, in, investigator in, investigating the, the crash. Uh, you know, it, it's, it has a, a terrific supporting cast, uh, like most Columbo's do. And uh, so, yeah, I, but they would do those kinds of episodes every once in a while because you can't do the same type of murderer over and over. Columbo was a, was a series which the murderers were selected by profession. It was a, it was a phone book show in the sense that, that you know what profession can be the murder because the profession it established the character it established the type of person, and so you know you always know, like the the murderer were always these very very successful people in their chosen professions. So you know they were photographers, they were writers. Uh, they were psychiatrists. They were, were
0: upper-class upper people is what right. it was. And, right. that, that, and, and, and that it's kind of like where you would go to the episode with uh, Robert Conrad, where he spends the entire episode with his shirt off. Right. <laughs> it seemed like he,
1: he was just— He spent his entire career with his shirt yeah, off. Yeah, it was just
0: training for Battle of the Network stars through that whole episode. and uh, yeah. But it was like something like that where you're like, well, we can't just keep having episodes where guys are getting shot the whole time. That right. we got to switch it up. So that's one where he pulled poison somebody and he's the owner of this gym uh it was a milo janus was uh, right. i think his name and which was one of the other classic because you mentioned leonard nimoy is that is one of the few columbos where Columbo actually gets angry and yes. you don't see that that often you just see him, he's oh mild-mannered oh i'm sorry to bother you all that stuff but he actually with the leonard nimoy episode he slams the thing down on the desk and then when he's at the hospital with Robert Conrad, he's getting like really testy with him. And you're like, whoa, this is out of character for someone like Columbo.
1: It's And it works because it is out of character. It's a moment where Columbo drops all of the artifice uh, for a second and basically says, you know, I don't like you. Uh, you know, I'm going to usually Columbo and actually usually Columbo does like the murderers. He does have a You know, even Peter said that was part of how he played the character. He 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 looks at these very successful people, and people always said that class warfare was built into Colombo. Is the fact that you had this this kind of very satisfying story about a, a a blue collar hero who is always coming into contact with these very snotty upper class people, and he's always un, their undoing, and that that was very um, appealing to the the audience. But Colombo himself doesn't enter into that Columbo actually likes he, he he thinks it's a shame these people have to be murderers you, you know that's part of his you know it's like oh it's it's too bad they have to act this way and he actually has great affection for some of the the, the murderers he usually doesn't work up an active dislike for for them but the Leonard Nimoy the Dr. Mayfield character that Leonard Nimoy plays and the Milo Janus character that Robert Conrad and this gave Peter a chance to play that and Peter was very good. Obviously, you know, um, Richard Levinson was violently opposed to Columbo showing any emotion at all. Um, he was against those moments. Everybody else kind of thinks those were good moments. Um, you know, R- Richard had had certain rules, and he that did, he didn't want to see violated. And uh, but you know, you, you I want to jump back just for a second because mm-hmm. you mentioned Richard before and Richard uh, Richard's death richard actually died richard was the very first person i interviewed for the book he was the person i interviewed the most every time i'd go out to los angeles we'd get together at the universal commissary or in century city or someplace and um i richard was the godfather to the book people who weren't were doing interviews at the time like stephen botchko because botchko was at the height of his powers on hill street blues and he wasn't doing interviews he talked to me because Richard told him he had to, and he told me that. You know, I, the phone rang. It was Stephen Botchko. I picked it up, and he said, "You know, I'm only talking to you because Richard Levinson told me I had to, and Richard Levinson's my daddy uh, in this business. So nobody opened more doors for this book. Nobody supported the research more than Richard, and Richard died just as I was starting to do the actual writing on the book. Mm. He, you know, he died of a massive, he was only 52. Mm-hmm. He was a type A personality. He was a chain smoker. You know, he got out of the shower that morning and just keeled over with a massive heart attack. And he was gone. And I, I was just starting to write the book and I was shook. I mean, I was really, you know, shook. And I talked to Bill Link that day. Um, and I said, Bill, I, I don't know whether I can go on and write the bo- book. I don't know whether I, I, I can actually do this. And. Bill said, no, now you have to write it. Now it becomes a holy chore to write, to finish the book. Um, and remember, the first thing Richard had said to me was that he wanted me to write the book because he wanted to have something like that to show his grandchildren what he had done. And Richard never lived to see his grandchildren. So I, uh, I thought, you know, Bill's right. I have to do this now. So, you know, that book started on that, on that note. Uh, on that, and you know, if it hadn't been for Richard, um, that book would have never been done, and if it hadn't been for Peter, Peter was, Peter was, is very, very slow to give his trust to people, If you, if that was one thing about Peter, that was uh, he, he did not give his trust easily, and it took a long time to get him to agree to an interview, um, he really checked it out, every time I went out to Los Angeles, which was twice a year for the paper, I would try to do an interview with Peter for the book. And every time I went out, it didn't work. Um, and I kept trying. I was like Columbo. I would not go away. And uh, he at, I later found out he was checking me out. He was calling around. He was talking to people. And people were said, no, Peter, you should talk to him. You should talk to him. So, you know, uh, one evening I was at going back to my hotel. This was before cell phones or anything like that. I was going back to my ho- my hotel room. The phone was ringing in the hotel, and I ran into the room. It was early evening. Picked up the phone. It was Peter's assistant, and she said, "Peter will talk to you now. Get in a cab, and come to the house in Beverly Hills. Wow! He'll meet you in out in front of the garage, which he had converted into an art studio because Peter was a very passionate uh, painter artist. And he said, uh, they said he'll meet you in front of the uh, and he'll give you all the time you want." So I got in the cab, and I grabbed cassette tapes, my tape recorder, notebook, ran for a cab, and I was there in like five minutes. And true to his word, you know, Peter was ready to talk. And we sat in that art studio for hours. I filled up cassette after cassette. And uh, when I was leaving uh, that night, it had gotten dark, and we were standing in the driveway in the Beverly Hills house. Peter said... uh, Mark, why do you think people want a book on Colombo? And I said, well, Peter, you know I in my estimation, it's the best mystery series ever done for television. You know, and, and it's a character who can stand with the great mystery characters of all time, like Sherlock Holmes and Hercule Poirot. And I said, and you know, there are dozens of books on Star Trek. There are dozens of books on 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 some series. I said there is none on Colombo. I think there should be at least one on Colombo. And Peter thought about it. Said, "You're right. There should be at least one on Colombo." And I said, "Yeah, but Peter, I don't have a publisher. I'm writing this book on faith. That I'm gonna when when it's all over, I'm gonna find a publisher. Um, and I just hope that that's true." Um, I did this book the way everybody says you should not write a book, which is called On spec, On Speculation. You, 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 you write the book without a commitment from, from a publisher. And uh, Peter just sort of nodded his head and he looked at me and said, don't worry about it, Mark, it's going to happen. And I thought, that's, that's a really good show of faith, you know. So uh, sort of the secondary dedication of the book was always to Richard Levinson, who said, get going you know, to Peter who said it was going to happen, and to Bill Link who said you have to do it.
0: That's you know? fantastic.
1: Otherwise, you know, otherwise I don't know that the book would have done. And then Peter really fought for the book too. Oh, he was he, he became like a tiger. Once he's once you had Peter's commitment, boy, you know, he was a yeah, you know, now there was the downside to that was once the book was published, Peter thought he had a built in uh creative consultant for the show. Unpaid uh creative consultant for the show. <laughs> Peter would call Anytime, night or day, he would call, and you know, uh, the phone would ring. I mean, I tell the story in in the the new material in the book, but after the book was published, there was some point about uh, it was like midnight. I was asleep, you know, and the phone rang. Uh, you know, and I went grabbing it for it because you know I don't my wife's asleep, you know. And I, so I I, I grab it and groggled you know, hello, you know, got to hear this voice. Emanating from, you know, 2,500 miles away. Mark, did we ever use an art critic as a killer on Columbo? I'm looking and it's, it's, it's like, Peter, it's midnight here. And he said, it is. It's only nine o'clock out here. <laughs> And it's, he was very like the character that way. He was very, very like the character, you know. And like you know, like a couple of years later, uh, my wife's mother took ill in, in East Tennessee, and we had to go down to Tennessee. To, and we were spending most of our time at the hospital. And um, there was a page on the over the hospital line for me, like, like who's paging me in a hospital in East Tennessee, you know. So I I go down to the lobby, and I find it's my editor at the Akron Beacon Journal, John Oleski. And John said, Peter Falk has been calling. He needs to talk to you. And he said, it's it's, it's urgent. Okay. So, you know, I get out my notebook, and I dial the universal number for Peter. His assistant puts me through. I'm standing in a lobby, a a hospital in East Tennessee. And I hear a voice say, Mark, did we ever use an artist for the killer on Columbo? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Peter <laughs> I was like, so this would, this would go on. I mean, this is, you know, whenever we, like I say, once he gave you his trust, it was a hundred percent, you know, but he took a long time to commit to, to, to it. So, you know, Again, he it he was he, he was in he, a lot of ways he was very like the character. You know, he brought a lot of himself to the character.
0: Because that's and that's where I was kinda going with the Bing Crosby question, because you say, okay, it's not too far fetched when you look back on it, but how much of mm-hmm. the original character of Columbo, uh, Lieutenant Columbo that Lincoln Levinson put together in the sixties ended up kinda going into going, Oh wait, that's that's Peter Peter Falk is that guy. And then they say that how much he took over that character. I know that they were looking, you said they were looking for somebody a little older, someone a little more, maybe a little stout. But how much of that were they like, okay, this is our guy, and that Peter kind of took over that character and made it almost an original character?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I think that that's, that that's true. But that's true in television, which is that um, people say that uh, for people who who... Uh, portray uh, iconic characters in television over a great length of time that after a while the line between the actor and the character start to blur and the reason is you're working in television you're working very fast you're committing a lot of hours to play it's not like a movie where okay you play uh, you know how many times did sean how many hours did Sean connery play james bond you know well the average primetime actor will blow past that number of hours in one season for all of the hours you know how many minutes does you know Harrison Ford appear on screen as Han Solo you know at uh, the average tv series actor is going to blow past those minutes in one in one season so you're working very fast you're working very intensely you're doing a lot of, of scenes as these characters and then after a while the writers start to write toward for the actor and the actor starts to draw on himself because he has to so it's not untoward <clears throat> it's not uncommon that actors and in television uh, that the 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 role and the the actor start to blur a little bit that's happened a lot people used to say for instance that after a while, it was hard to tell where uh, Hawkeye started and Alan Alda started, that the mm-hmm. the line really almost disappeared uh, uh, quite a bit. Because you kind of so- had
0: that with the, the Archie Bunker character was that wasn't originally for Carol O'Connor. And then Mm -hmm. some wondered, oh, is he Archie Bunker? And Carol O'Connor had to basically spend up until the, in the heat of the night uh, years, but basically saying, look, I'm different. That's not, that's a character you're seeing on television. And I am an actor playing said character. That's right. And, but, but, you know, so, so Peter did draw on himself is what I'm saying. And everybody
1: who has worked with Peter, Peter is an obsessive actor and columbo is an obsessive detective so you know his approach to acting is not that different from you know columbo's approach to, uh, to to crime detection um peter is not peter would have been the first to tell you he did not have the great sherlock holmes type mind to solve mysteries but what peter did have was he had an approach to his craft which was similar to a sherlock holmes and that was to laser lock on something, and to analyze it to death. Um, you know, a lot of actors loved working on Columbo. Most actors love work. There, there was the exceptional uh, exception where the styles didn't match. Uh, but in television, the whole idea is speed, is you get it done and you get it done fast. That is not Peter's method. Peter is not made for television. It's just that Columbo was so successful that NBC and Universal put up with the overruns and, and, and the budget, uh, going wild because Peter liked to do a lot of takes, you know, uh, Ben Gazzara, his good friend directed two episodes and, you know, as Ben Gazzara, I asked, you know, uh, during interview while interviewing him was, you know, is, is Peter as obsessive about doing a lot of takes as, uh, as he's, as he's known for and Ben laughed and said, you know, Peter's warming up on take 70. <laughs> you, know, so like, well, you know, so now most actors like that, especially if you work in television, where it's so speed, 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 Peter was always giving the actors another chance to get it right and to work and to rehearse and do things which Peter was a man of the theater. Peter could never understand the vagaries of television that did not match up to how you do movies and, 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 the, and, and plays. You know, for instance, it always drove him nuts that the scripts weren't done ahead of time. He, 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 was, he would say, you wouldn't start working on a movie without a script. You wouldn't start doing a play without the script. But in television, you start a season and no scripts are written yet. Yeah, and that drove him nuts. You know, he, 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 he always wanted to see the scripts first. And, you know, and Peter would wear you out. Uh, One of the reasons the show was so good was Peter was that obsessive.
0: Well, and he like you said, he approached it not only from a stage point of view, but Columbo was really not like a television show. It was a it was a movie that hence the NBC mystery movie. It was a it was on film. It wasn't in front of any audience or anything. And it was it had the setup like you were watching a TV movie in the, you know, every four weeks that you would watch it.
1: And, and that was one of the, the mystery movie was so key to the success of Columbo one. The brew was so rich, it probably wouldn't have sustained uh, being repeated every week. It was nice to have that every four weeks. It built up the anticipation for the next one. And you knew when a Columbo came on, it was going to be something special. So, it, you know, that was a it, the mystery movie was 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 so key a to getting peter to agree to it but then also and how it was marketed to the viewing audience which is again if you this was not a show which probably could sustain every week and it needed more than an hour it needed it needed 90 minutes to play out the, this very rich cat and mouse game between columbo and the murderer <coughs> excuse me so um I do think that, um, th- th- that that innovation, that idea of a, of a, of a mystery wheel was, was, is, is the key to the whole thing, that we, would, we, would, we wouldn't be sitting here talking right now if it hadn't been part of that formula, because it made it more like um, six or seven movies uh, uh, instead of a weekly series, which is exactly what it was. It was six or seven movies. And they were done at a, at a very, very high level. And, and that's more of a British model than it is an American model. Uh, you know, where, you know, somebody will come in and say to the BBC, you know, well, I wanna do five or six episodes this season. You know, and you're not tied immediately to doing 22 episodes, which is the American way of doing it. it is just say, well, okay, you did one good pilot, we'll buy the pilot, now repeat that. 22 times.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it, it's you know, kind of like what you have with a, yeah. say, for example, a sitcom in America that it debuts yeah. around just after Labor Day. And then by the time you hit around Thanksgiving, you start to notice the quality of the show starts to drop a little bit. And like you said, the British model, the office, the British office is like 16 episodes. The American office is yeah. like 16 seasons. <laughs> right. That's right, you know and and nobody has twenty two good
1: ideas in a year. nobody I mean whether they're comedy ideas or mystery ideas or or horror ideas or whatever, nobody has twenty two good ideas yeah. in a year, and I don't care how many writers you have. that's gonna strain. and the BBC model is kind of it, it's more you go to a writer producer and they just basically say, "I think I have this many good ideas. Well, let's do that many good ideas then let's do that. And this season we'll do five or six. Next season we'll do seven or eight. You tell us how many ideas you want to do. So then so I think it's a much more common sense model, you know, from a create from a cre- creativity standpoint.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, so then the mystery movie uh, that Columbo has its original run, it comes to an end. Was that more so NBC? Was that Fred Silverman going in a different direction or were they just tapped out of ideas at that time?
1: No, they weren't tapped out. Uh, they certainly could have gone on um, from an idea standpoint. What happened was was that um, the show had to become more and more expensive. And uh, Universal was very clear, you know, which is Universal is a very uh, budget oriented studio. And Colombo was so important because remember, Colombo is propping up the mystery wheel. It's not just. Columbo which was a huge rating success and an Emmy success it also was propping up the the other parts of the of the mystery movie so uh, it was very important to nbc to have columbo and nbc did something which actually the, the guy who was in charge of tv production at universal at the time was richard irving and dick irving was appalled <laughs> because he was he was a budget guy he really you know he he really believed in sticking to the budget sticking to the he was appalled when NBC uh, basically agreed to pick up the overruns. When, when, when NBC said, okay, if it goes over budget, we'll we'll pick it up. And NBC was doing that. As, as, as costs went up and up and Peter's salary went up and up and Columbo became more and more expensive, NBC was more than happy to pick up the, the, the budget overruns. Um, and then the mystery movie crashed. The mystery movie basically ended its days. And the last season of Columbo, the last NBC season of Columbo was not a mystery uh, movie uh, season. It was just a series of movies airing over a season. So those last Columbos, like, you know, how to dial a murder, or, you know, murder under glass, ending with the conspirators. Those were not aired as part of the mystery movie. And Columbo was no longer as important to NBC because it was airing as movies. It was just – and NBC, all of a sudden, they didn't like picking up the budget overruns as much as they they had. Um, So there was discussion. There were always discussions, as Columbo rose. At the the end of the fifth season, there was a very good chance Columbo was not going to come back at the end of the fifth season. Um, It was nip and tuck. And then they they did come back, and they did a sort of sixth season. And then they come back, and they do the, the seventh and final season. But it, it, it's really because the mystery movie died uh, more than anything else. Columbo was not as important to NBC. And even at the end of it, as they were coming down the pike on those last movies, they were, they were talking about doing more. Sure. They, 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 were, they were certainly in discussion about doing more. But it just kind of died of its own weight at that point. And, and, and so it, 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 you have the very last one in the late 70s and Columbo goes uh, goes dormant, and it immediately gets picked up on the CBS late-night movie. It reruns on the CBS late-night movie, and a new generation rediscovers it. So all through the 80s, you have new Columbo fans being made because of that, and that's kind of where I enter the picture and start writing the book.
0: And yeah, I was, was going to say how that came about, because with NBC, you notice that in the late 70s, early 80s, they went through a massive just just downslide. I mean, kind of the way that CBS did with that rural purge in the early 70s, where you had Green Acres and all those other shows that went off the air. And then they had the more Norman Lear, socially conscious shows that they were uh, popping up by like 1971. NBC kind of went downhill up until, gosh, probably the Cosby show and the must-see TV that was starting in the mid-80s, Miami Vice, Golden Girls, and a lot of those shows. But NBC kind of after that, it seemed like they went through a you know real downslide there.
1: You start the 70s with ABC being the distant third network and the, 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 the network that's in the toilet ratings-wise. Um, NBC in the middle and CBS on top. You end the decade with ABC and NBC having switched places. And CBS is still on top. But ABC did go to number one during the 70s on the strength of what was called the jiggle shows like Charlie's angels and three's company TNA TV. And some, yeah, <laughs> and, and they had, I mean, they also had happy days and Mark and Mindy and other things in there, but yeah, they, they, they did go to number one for a while. And then we get into the eighties and it's NBC that's in the toilet at that point. And they don't really get out until like you said, um, uh, with the rise of uh, Brandon Tartikoff as uh, their entertainment president and the rise of shows like uh, The Cosby Show and Family Ties and Hill Street Blues uh, and the A-Team. I mean, they, they, there's there's a it's not all, you know, this kind of high end quality stuff they were doing. They had their share of junk, too. Um, but, you know, they, it but it was a small
0: wonder was one of them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but they come out, but they come up to, you know, come out of the basement and they go to number one. Uh, it, it, during during the nineteen eighties, so you know, by the end of the decade, uh, ABC is the one that's 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 uh, struggling again, and so at the end of the decade, ABC thinks, "Why don't we do revive the whole idea of the Mystery Wheel, and we'll do you know alternating detectives, and this is all contingent on Peter agreeing to put the raincoat back on, and playing Columbo again, which you know he was more than happy to do."
0: I was going to say, because it seemed like it would have been very difficult for someone like Peter Falk, uh, someone of his stature, someone who, you know, he's off the heels of doing uh, The Princess Bride, and he did a lot of movies, uh, came off The In-Laws from 1979, and were somebody to try to recapture that magic again. And it seemed like Peter Falk was somebody who was uh, who was a true artist and and more ways than one as you saw in his garage. And it, to go back in that, they must have had to give him a, a nice hefty payday and give him like a final say on <laughs> a lot of those uh, stories, right? Peter uh, got a producer's credit and he got a uh, so you know, he was he was he was definitely uh,
1: uh P- Peter always go did well money wise though you know Peter was very shrewd that way. Peter had all sorts of licensing and image stuff uh, uh, that paid off big time with the original series. Peter is very shrewd uh, from that standpoint. He had very good representation. Um, but when the ABC mystery movie started, when the, when the, the the new ones were started, one of the things that was very very good about that is that. Um, Peter should have never had total control of anything. You know, Peter should have input. His input is valuable. But Peter needed somebody there that uh, could temper when his instincts were wrong. And he also needed a very, very good writer, producer, running, uh, really running the show. So he was free to uh, pursue things creatively. There was always that person on Columbo in the early years. The first season, it was Levinson and Link. You know, in the second and third season, it was Dean Hargrove. It was Peter Fisher, the, the story editor and writer. Uh, in, in the later seasons, it was Richard Allen Simmons. There was always a very strong presence who could say to Peter, "No, no, we're not going to do this." When the ABC mystery movie, there was that strong presence at first. Richard Allen Simmons was brought back to be the producer. Bill Link was the overall executive producer over the whole Mystery Wheel, so there was a lot of um, you know Peter did have a lot of control, but there was there were those voices, those necessary voices were there. As the ABC mystery movie uh, Columbo's progressed, Peter got more and more power, and at the end he was pretty much in charge, and um, and I love Peter to death. I mean, i, I but. The truth is peter should have never been in total charge of colombo you could see it at the end that's when some really bad decisions started to get made uh with those with those abc mysteries and you get some of the really awful moments in in colombo history in those abc mysteries it's always fun watching peter in the raincoat it's always good seeing him playing the character but the difference between the ABC run and the NBC run, besides the depth of of cast that we were talking about, the difference between the two is that the bad Columbo in the original 45 is the aberration. Um, by the time you get to the 24 ABC mysteries, the bad Columbo is no longer an aberration. It, it may, you know, it's a little bit more common. Um, and as I say, it's not to say they didn't do good uh, mystery movies during that run, there's some excellent ones. They had mom- their moments. <clears throat> sure, sure. Agenda for Murder is, is wonderful. Columbo goes to college. I think, you know, those are two episodes right off the top of my head that could stand with the original 45 quite easily. Um,
0: what, I, but- what I didn't like when they got to the ABC ones was the, the constant, oh, we have to have him say just one more thing. Because if you notice in the first ones... It He might have said it a couple of times, but it wasn't the catchphrase that it became. And it was just basically like, all right, like if you're in the audience, it was training the audience to go, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. It's coming. He's going to say just one more thing. And everybody – and it became – It kind of took on a life of its own. And I'm like, uh, it just didn't, it didn't just, it didn't have, I mean, Peter's now he's, he doesn't even just have salt and pepper. It's now almost white at that time, his hair. And you're like, oh, it's, it's an old man trying to solve mysteries. And it's, well, it's about 2000 right now. Well. You see, yeah,
1: it wasn't age that bothered me because, you know, Columbo can be any age. He's sort kind of an ageless character. You know, Peter could have conceivably gone on playing the character for as long as, as, as he wanted to. Uh, again, you know, he, play, he starts out life as the Thomas Mitchell character, as an older character. It, what bothered me more than anything else was, um, and I think the fans kind of sensed it, too, <clears throat> something seems off in those, in those ABC mysteries something just doesn't seem right about his performance it's it just seems a little bit off um it's never quite the Columbo when it was when when he was playing it in his prime and i think some of that's the writing i think some of it's the direction and i think some of it is just you can't go home again i think some of it is trying to recapture that uh, that moment and you know, it's hard to get the band back together again and have the same sound. Yeah, you know, some some sometimes you can do it, and sometimes you can't. And I don't think they quite had the same level of of, of writing, the same level of cast. and and I don't think Peter's performance was quite up to where it was in the seventies. Um, you know, I always glad to see him. Always like I said, always welcome figure in the right coat. But I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, yeah, I think that the uh, the 24 ABC Mysteries, um, they are not the consistent exercise in excellence that the NBC years were.
0: Let's so if you're, if you're the Colombo purist, like how, how you have a baseball purist who doesn't acknowledge expansion teams and AstroTurf and domed stadiums, or if you're a Colombo purist, you just almost not even acknowledge the ABC years?
1: I think you got to acknowledge they're canon, you know, I mean, he played them, you know, it's Peter, he played them, you know, they're, they're they're in there. But I think you do have a um, a separate, you know, you have the, uh, I, I, I I assume, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, you separate eras. If you're a Star Trek fan, you know, you, you, you can, you can like Next Generation at the same time that you like the original series or whatever, or the movies, but you separate the universes a little bit. And I think you do that with Colombo is that you know you you sort of think of the original forty five as classic Colombo, yeah, yeah, classic Coke. you know, that's that's classic
0: Colombo because I that, was watching and, I saw the the final one, which was in surprisingly two thousand and three, which was Colombo likes the nightlife, yeah. and, w- One thing I thought about with that, and I started watching some of the – it's so weird to say because I I talked to my wife about this, and when I talk about the new Columbo episode, and she's like, the new Columbo? Like, didn't he – I'm like, yes, yeah, no, um, you know what I mean. There was original, and there was the new Columbo, and now the newest Columbo episode is now almost 18 years old. But it really seemed like some of those were – Almost uh, and now I could be wrong, but just what it appeared to me that the scripts were written for like another show and then they just inserted Columbo in there. Like they would have been a CSI Miami episode, but just take David Caruso out and put Peter Falk in there and then have him solve. So I watched that last one and I'm thinking to myself, this could have been a Blue Bloods episode. This could have been uh, The Shield, some of the other shows that were very popular in the uh, you know 2000s, NCIS. And it almost seemed like somebody was like, well, who wants it? Well, we'll, we'll give it to Colombo. We'll, we'll have Colombo do that.
1: <laughs> right. And, and you're, you know, that's like one of the most boneheaded things Peter ever did was, um, he, because Peter was very conscious of scripts, but he wasn't a writer and he didn't know quite know how to go about, you know, again, he needed a Peter Fisher. He needed a, a Dean Hargrove and, uh, he, when he was in total charge of the show, he had gone out to dinner with a friend who was uh, an expert in the mystery field. And Peters said to the guy, uh, you know, who's the best? Uh, who's the best mystery writer in America? And the guy said, uh, you know, Evan Hunter. Well, Evan Hunter is uh, he is a mystery writer's mystery writer. A excellent writer. Fantastic. So Peter immediately went out and bought Evan Hunter stories. The problem is that uh, Hunter wrote police procedurals. Peter didn't ask, said, who's the best mystery writer who writes mysteries that would work on Columbo? He just said, who's the best? The guy gave an honest answer. So Peter said, well, this is the guy we want. (coughs) But these were stories which were much more like stories you'd find on Hill Street Blues. These were not stories you'd find a Columbo, so Peter bought the property and they were expensive, so they had to do them. So they did two Columbo mysteries, like uh, No Time for Murder, and I, you know, and these were so uh, not Columbo. This, uh, these, these, these and they are probably among the most hated Columbo episodes. That ever, and this all came about because again, Peter had too much power. Um. And he didn't have somebody there to say no. You don't want to buy these stories, Peter. You don't want to do these. These are not going to work. As a matter of fact, one of the episodes has no murder. Has you know, it's a kidnapping, and Colombo uh, uh, Columbo has to solve it. And but it's one of those uh, Ed McBain. Ed, you know, Evan Hunter wrote under the name Ed McBain. Uh, had a, he had a, a few pseudonyms, um, but. Uh, he again he is a great mystery writer he is one of the, the grand masters of of american mystery writers but not suited for columbo yeah. and so yes you 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 have these kind of things which would have never happened in the original 45 mysteries
0: yeah i I, I i thought that was interesting and uh, going back in there but before uh, and i won't uh, keep you too much longer here i know you has been great uh, uh, some, uh, the last couple of things I wanted to ask you was uh, you, obviously your favorite classic Colombo episodes, um, and your relationship with Peter in his final years because I know he was starting, he was starting to go and they was diagnosed with dementia back in uh, 2007. The same year, by the way, that I guess that there was a script out there for a final what would have been a final Colombo episode. And I wanted to hear your relationship with uh, Peter in the final years.
1: Well, you know, Peter and I stayed in touch. We would see each other every once in a while. We'd we'd, we'd talk every once in a while. But not long before Peter started to show uh, signs of dementia, um, we actually, his last interview was on uh, uh, an Internet radio show called TV Time Machine, which is hosted by a fellow by the name of Jim Benson. So if you want to look this up, if anybody wants to go find this, they can find it. But Jim had not only Peter on that show, he had me on the show. And this was the last time we actually talked. This was our last uh, conversation, and it's interesting because uh, Peter is sharp as a tack. He is there. He was talking about his childhood. He talked about things he'd never talked about, and you know his memory and his recall were twenty twenty. His voice sounds a little frail, but he he but his it, it, up here was was just perfect, and it was a lovely interview. We talked about a lot of different things and. And he said, Well, there's a part in Mark's book that I just love. And there's a part in the back of the book where I just list all of the relatives Columbo mentioned in the original 45 Mysteries, you know. So Peter finds that part in the book. Matter of fact, he's fumbling through the book and I said, It's on page 100. Like, oh okay, I got it, I got it. You know, so and then he starts to read it. He does a dramatic reading of a chapter from my book. It's the last thing I ever heard him do. The last thing I ever heard him do was read from the Columbo file oh, that's and cool. do and it was hilarious I mean he made this 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 thing and he started getting tickled in the middle of it as he started talking. He's, he's got a nephew who's into the, the chess he's got a who lives in San Jose he's got a, a brother-in-law lives, you know? uh, and and Peter just got so tickled doing that um and it wasn't long after that because you know I I, I believe this is true uh Peter slipped into Alzheimer's very fast. When Peter, uh, you know, it it seemed like it was a long time, but between diagnosis and his death was not really that long. It was a couple years cuz there was that's that
0: heartbreaking me. video where he was like out in the street and yeah. he didn't know where yeah. he and was and I'm like
1: Beverly Hills that's right and, and the
0: fact that but, anyone but, would post that online and saying look here's Peter Falk not knowing where he is and I'm like it's it's yeah. not how you want to remember him especially and then I think he was at a card show around that time too and uh, signing autographs and it was it, it was really sad towards the end. And like you said, he, because I was just watching him, I think he had a, his autobiography was in 2006 and it seemed pretty sharp right. then. And then after oh, that, yeah. like you but said, again, right,
1: right, to the right to the end. I mean, like I said, he had he, he had two medical procedures. One of them was a dental procedure and he had this anesthetic. And I and, and it was like that was the turning point. And I have read about, you know, that with certain dementia cases, uh, anesthesia can trigger uh, if there is a predisposition for Alzheimer's. Uh, It's a theory. I I don't know. I'm not a doctor or or a researcher, so I don't know. But it does seem to me interesting that that did seem to happen with Peter is he he had those those medical procedures. And right after that, it was just swiftly. I mean it was all it was only a few months later that he didn't remember playing colombo after that and the radio interview was done not too long before that that's the moment i want to remember peter that's the moment that you know is that the last moment for me with peter is that radio interview and him doing that reading from the colombo file um you know and and you know and that was the real last real conversation that was the last real moment of contact um and there was a 70th script uh, being you know, considered. There was the, the, what was called, supposed to be Columbo's final case. And uh, Universal could not find a taker uh, for it. They went everywhere. They took it to NBC. They took it to ABC. They took it to USA Network. They were looking for foreign partners. And it just didn't work out. Um, I thought the 70th uh, was a lost opportunity. I had my own idea what they should do with the 70th and the final case, um, which I put in the book. Uh, I think it would have been a great idea. You know, my idea was this. I thought they should go get David Cassidy and Sean Cassidy, who had done a play together on Broadway, Blood Brothers, and make them the sons of one of the murderers that Jack Cassidy had played. Interesting. father died in prison, and they planned the perfect murder to get back at Colombo. And that's your last episode. Like maybe, like in now you see <laughs> him,
0: and like his kids ended up becoming like a Siegfried and Roy type of situation where they're like a right. Team whatever, of you whatever you want to go whatever you want
1: again. It comes down to professions, but they become like the Loeb and Leopold of planning this perfect murder because they are the sons of a murder, and not just a murderer, but the definitive Columbo murderer. You know, and the other way to end it would have been to do the, the ultimate Uber, bring back Bill Link, bring back Peter Fisher, have them write the ultimate Columbo murderer, and you get the one actor who never played a Columbo murderer who should have, and that's Anthony Hopkins. And you do a mono on my- Mono between Columbo and Hannibal Lecter, or whatever you want to call. It. So, and that's your your
0: finale. Oh, that would have been yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, Dawn. we didn't get to that. But uh, well, I'll ask you because I'll give you my top five episodes. Uh, two, sure. Top five Columbo's. So number five was I, I and I like this one because it was different. Was by Dawn's Early Light.
1: Right. That's uh, one of the always considered one one of the best Columbo's, and it won Patrick McGowan the uh, the Emmy. So. You know, it's, uh, Who ended it's up directing
0: up a lot, a lot of them, especially in the uh, later years right. as well. Number four, uh, the one with Ruth Gordon, "Try and Catch Me."
1: It's on my top five.
0: Yeah. Uh, number three, I threw this up because it was just because of Jack Cassidy. I had to do the three Jack Cassidys: "Murder by the Book," "Now You See Him," and "Publisher Perish." I couldn't, I, I couldn't pick one, so I just put all the Jack Cassidy ones there. Uh, number two, "Suitable for Framing" with Ross Martin was I, I, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The, the the reveal towards the, the best end was layout. the best, and then my yeah. number one was "Any Old Port in the Storm" with Donald Pleasance, who played just a fantastic role. And uh, even even uh, Peter goes on. Uh, Johnny Carson talks about it. He was promoting the episode for the weekend and said that uh, you know a lot of American folks don't know who Donald Pleasance is, but he's a phenomenal actor, and it's a great episode.
1: Yeah,
0: and and your top five match very close to my top five.
1: I, the only one that I I think I I, I would I would actually name a Jack Cassidy because now you see him as my favorite Jack Cassidy episode. I think it's, which is odd because Murder by the Book is such a iconic episode and in so many ways, it's such an important episode. But I think now you see him as a one of their best. And I would have put in the Friend Indeed with Richard Kylie uh, That's my another one that's that I put very very high. That was in my also t- has one of the best.
0: Well, I was gonna say Go that was in my top ten. It was in my honorable mentions. The one with Richard Kyley, uh, and then uh, what was the other one I had? Oh, the one where Martin Landau plays his own twin. Yeah, I forgot which yeah, one that yeah. was. The one I did we'll not. Yes, and, and the one I did not like though because I saw it. It was on a couple of weeks ago, and I watched it, it like for the first time in a while. It was the Ricardo Montalban one where they had Colombo on the road in Mexico, and I'm just like. There's a lot. By today's standards, a lot of the Mexican stereotypes are present and everything. But I just I'm like, ah, it's lacking. This one's really lacking. You know, the best part about that seri- that,
1: that episode is not the murder and it's not the murderer. Um, it is actually the part that's not stereotypical, uh, which is the friendship that develops between Colombo and the Mexican police authority played by Pedro Hernandez Jr. And they have a very nice relationship, and there's a lot of mutual respect. And there's a lot, and and Colombo is invited into their homes, and he meets their children, and you get to see a real person there. It's not just a uh, Mexican stereotype that's played out.